0: Well, welcome again. I hope everyone's doing well. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and Marlon back there will bring one over to you. You can uh, be opening your Bibles to Genesis chapter 30. Did I surprise you, Marlon? (laughs) Anyone need a Bible? Anyone else? Okay. Um, So we continue our verse-by-verse teaching through the book of Genesis. I'm excited about what we've been learning. Uh, This is my last night of my rotation in Genesis. Uh, Next week we'll have Fred Scores and then Pastor Bob Norris will come up after that and then Sean will come up and take us through the end of Genesis and then we'll just start the whole thing over again in Exodus and I'll probably start that rotation. But be opening your Bibles to Genesis chapter 30. I do want to say a little bit about last week uh, Genesis 29. I want to refer to something that I mentioned last uh, lesson and that was just simply a scripture reference from Galatians 6 verse 7. And it says this, you should remember it. Um, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. So we saw in chapter 29 that Jacob had started to reap the fruit of his doings. And we read all about that. And let me tell you something, church, it's a universal truth that if you sow love, you will reap love. If you sow hate, you will reap hate. If you sow wheat, you will reap wheat. If you sow corn, you will reap corn. The Bible tells us by your fruit, you will be recognized. And you see this principle all throughout Scripture. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. You see it in the Old Testament with Pharaoh. You remember the Pharaoh, he killed all the firstborn sons of all the Egyptian slaves that were there in Egypt. And then his son was killed by the Passover angel. You see it with King David, the man after God's own heart. He committed a sin. He basically raped Bathsheba, then had her husband murdered, and yet his daughter was raped and his son killed. You see it with Korah. Korah had caused a split in the camp of Israel by grumbling against Moses, and then you see God split open the earth and swallow him alive. And then you see it even in the New Testament with Paul, who was formerly known as Saul, where Saul approved the stoning of Stephen. It says he held the garments in approval. Well, they stoned Stephen, the first martyr, to death. And Paul, too, was stoned and left for dead. And I'm not talking the Colorado stoned, okay? Left for dead. Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 1, he said, Do not judge, so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. All these things that I just mentioned and many more, I think in a, really you, you could put it in the form of what we might say today, what goes around, comes around, right? And so we find that here with Jacob tonight, or Jacob, we know that... Used deception to gain the birthright blessing from his older brother and from his, you know, and to deceive his father. And so we see deception being used by Laban to gain a husband for his older daughter. Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. Now, on the other hand, there's a story of a man who sows righteousness, and his name is Joseph, and he becomes uh, a ruler in the Bible. And because of the jealousy of Joseph's brothers, he sold into slavery. And Joseph also is wrongly charged when he's in Egypt and sent to prison, but he held on to his faith. And God did not forget Joseph while he was in prison and while he was going through all his trials. And Joseph learned some valuable lessons through those trials, lessons of compassion and lessons of caring. And Joseph found favor with God. And because of his wisdom that came from God, Joseph was given the second position in all the land. He rose up to this position, and Joseph reaped what he sowed, righteousness. He sowed obedience and faithfulness to God, and he was faithful, and he didn't give in to the uh, seduction of the boss's wife. He became a servant to all of those people who were in prison, and he found favor with the jailer. If you know the story, we're going to get to that in chapter 37 is when we really start to focus on on Joseph. But Joseph reaped what he sowed, this universal principle. You see it played throughout Scripture. You see it today in life. And the stories of Jacob and the story of Joseph had very different beginnings. But through the providence of God, they had amazing and wonderful endings. That's a good place for an amen, by the way, right there. So let's go ahead and open our Bibles to chapter 30, and let's read together in verse 1. Oh, there's the timer. Now, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she became jealous of her sister. And she said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. Then Jacob's anger burned against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? She said, here is my maid, Bella, go into her that she may bear on my knees that through her I too may have children. Let's stop there for a second. Here in verses one and two, we see that Jacob and Rachel have some very strong words. And yes, we know that Jacob absolutely adored and he loved his wife, Rachel. But even the strongest marriages sometimes have disagreements and arguments and There's misconceptions that need to be worked out in a marriage, and you see that right here. But then Rachel blurts out, she says, uh, give me children, or else I will die. Now there's a word for that. That kind of speaking, that kind of phrasing. It's called dramatic. And, And and really that's she's just being dramatic, but we all need to understand that in that culture, a woman's identity was tied to her children. The more The merrier, the more, the better. And so women got their sense of worth through childbearing. And I think about this as Jacob fires back. He says, am I in the place of God who had withheld from from you the fruit of the womb? He's kind of like, why are you blaming me? Like, this is out of my hands. I had nothing to do with this. This is of God. But where I fault Jacob is right here. I fault Jacob in the fact that Rachel didn't need his talk back right there. She didn't need to have it rubbed in her face. She didn't need to be proved that Jacob was right. What she needed was Jacob's encouragement, was Jacob's love and understanding and his empathy and the empathy that could only come from her husband, Jacob. Now, technically, he was 100% right. It wasn't his fault. says it was God. But how did that make her feel? Being right, technically. How did it make her feel? I, you know, I do a lot of uh, marriage counseling, and I see this a lot in marriages that struggle, where one spouse has to prove to the other that he or, or she is right at the expense of the other. But what good is it being right if by being right you, you crush the one that you love? I, I'm not talking moral issues. I'm talking emotional issues mainly. Like where you have one, one spouse pouring out their heart, their emotions, their heart to you about what's going on with them And you come back with logic or technicalities. You know what that says? That says, I'm not really hearing you. I'm more interested in being right. But being right isn't always right. I, I often give advice in counseling. I, I'll look at the, when I see this going on right in front of me during counseling sessions. And I'll look at the man or the woman and I'll say, you know, you can be right or you can be happy but you can't be both. When you say that, it it just takes the pride right out of the fight. It really does. And you, you begin to put the other person first. And both people need to remember that. You can be right or you can be happy, but you can't be both. In my marriage, I would gladly give up being right. I mean, who cares if on paper... You know, I'm right about this. What good is it, though, if she's not happy? If I'm breaking her heart, it, look, you can't be both all of the time. It's just part of it. Now, in verse 3, after they have this exchange and he's, you know, he, he's lashing back at her, she spells out her plan. In verse 3, she said, Here is my maid, Billa. Go unto her, that she may bear on my knees... That through her, I too may have children. Now this phrase is, bear on my knees. It sounds pretty, like, why is that there? But many scholars believe that this phrase, bear on my knees, refers to the custom of that time, that any children that Jacob would have through Billah would be legally and automatically adopted by Rachel. And so in verse 4, it says, So she gave him her maid, Billa, as a wife. And Jacob went into her, and Billah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me, and has indeed heard my voice, and has given me a son. Therefore she named him Dan. Rachel's maid Billah conceived again, and bore Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, With mighty wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and I have indeed prevailed. And she named him Nephilim. To me, that's just kind of a sad. A sad circumstance that she's she's saying, I wrestled with my sister. These these women right here, they're keeping score, right? They're they're trying to outbest the other sister. They're competitive. And, And really, this is a weird section, so I think we need to address something here. Now, some would say as we read this and go, well, it's in the Bible, so God must approve of it. But God does not approve of everything that's in the Bible. Now, that may come as a surprise to some. The biblical record is inspired, but not necessarily the thoughts or the actions. God didn't approve what Jacob did to his brother and to his father. God does not give in to lies. He's not about that. God didn't approve what David did to Bathsheba. In fact, God rebuked David. And judged him for it. And I'm going to touch more on that in a minute. But I, I want to read on with the story so we can get the big picture here. In verse 9, it says, When Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, she took her maid, Zilpha and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Leah's maid Zilpha bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, How fortunate! So she named him Gad. Leah's maid Zilpha bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, Happy am I, for women will call me happy. So she named him Asher. Verse 14. Now in the days of the wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Is it a small matter for you to take my husband? And would you take my son's mandrakes also? So Rachel said, Therefore he may lie with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. Then Jacob came in from the field in the evening, and Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. <clears throat> God gave heed to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I have my maid because I gave my maid to my husband. So she named him Issachar. Leah conceived again and bore a sixth son to Jacob. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good gift. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulun. Afterward, she bore a daughter and named her Dinah. So this is an interesting section where we see that Jacob, or Reuben is out in the field and he finds these mandrakes. And... um, now, I don't know if you know what mandrakes are. Mandrakes are, back in that time, mandrakes were kind of thought of, of having this special power, kind of an aphrodisiac. They they like stimulated fertility. And mandrakes were, were famed in ancient times for that. Even today, in some cultures, they're still thought of in that way. And mandrakes are this purple flower. They have these yellow-type berries, yellowish-orange berries, and And they have like these roots that are kind of shaped, some say, in a human form. And so this, I just call it a myth. Now there's medicinal properties in mandrake, but not necessarily what she was wanting them for. And so he comes in from the field and he's got these mandrakes, Reuben does, and he brings them to his mom, Leah, and Rachel says, Hey, your son has some mandrakes. Can I have these mandrakes for me? And she snaps back. Is it a small matter that you take my husband and you would take my mandrakes also? And so they make a deal. And she says, basically, I'll rent you. I'll rent you, Jacob, for the mandrakes. And when Jacob, unknowing, he comes in from the field, from working the animals, he comes in and she comes up. She says, Hey, you must come into me for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. And so he's with Leah that evening. And so again, here we see issues of having more than one wife. We see bitterness, we see jealousy, competitiveness, anger. All of those things are being displayed in. Several passages right there. And in verse 14, we see Reuben with the mandrakes. Now, those mandrakes, uh, there's a word for them, love apple. Uh, You may have heard that word. These were the love apples. And um, they resembled this human form. But I see there's no love going on between these two sisters right here. And you see bitterness come out in Leah's words when she says that. Is it a small matter for you to take my husband? Take my husband. And you would take my son's mandrakes. Rachel's response was that, look, again, I'll rent him to you. And that indicates to me something important. It indicates to me that Jacob probably spent each night in Rachel's tent. And right here, they made a deal. Tonight, you get asleep in Leah's tent. Jealousy, anger, bitterness going on between these two sisters. Now, I don't read anything here about Jacob having a problem with this, Right? In fact, Jacob's, this dude's head was probably puffed up like a balloon. He was probably, you know, who knows. But he, he, I don't see anything about him having a problem, but God had a problem with it. I'm positive of that. Because God doesn't approve of lies. God doesn't approve of evil plans and strife going on in a family. And that's all we see here. God never contradicts His Word. Turn over to... Proverbs 6.16. God never contradicts His word. and I like the way the NIV words this. In Proverbs 6.16, it's interesting that the Lord says this. He says, there are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven that are abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, And hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that run rapidly to evil. A false witness who utters lies. And one who spreads strife among brothers. Three if not four of these abominations listed right here can be linked to Jacob and the ladies. Now there are consequences of sin. We've talked about this before. and Jacob had plenty of trouble moving forward from the whole beginning, from the time he concocted this whole deal. And it all goes back to the methods that Jacob used that God could not approve. God did not approve of four wives. And it's only really through Jesus that God has so changed the culture, the cultural values of that time. It's only through Jesus that we have any chance of changing the cultural values of our time. Today, 2019, God's plan for marriage was clear from the beginning, but they just didn't see it. Remember back in Genesis, back in chapter 2, when I was preaching in there, if you recall when God created woman from Adam, in Genesis 2.24, he says this, he says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, singular." and they shall become one flesh. It's through Jesus that God has changed the cultural values of the times, period. God has made us all equal. At the end of that section there, it said that they had a a daughter named Dinah. Now, we don't know much about any other daughters that they might have had, He may have had other daughters, but this one is listed because it moves the story forward. And you'll see what happens later on in the chapter. She's significant. But women didn't carry much value in that culture. They didn't carry a lot of weight. and In fact, when they would all gather and a woman was getting ready to have the baby, they'd have the party ready to go. If the baby was female... (laughs) Party's kind of over. There was no huge celebration because that's the way the culture was. But through Jesus, He's changed the culture. He loves you all so very much. Each and every one of us. He tells us. There's no Jew or Greek or slave or free. We're all important in His eyes. We're all special. It is through Jesus that God has changed the cultural values then and now. In the New Testament, we read that Paul's charge for those who would become leaders in the church. In Titus 1.6, he says this, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife. One wife. God does not approve of more than one wife. And God puts us all on an equal playing field, man or woman, race, everything. And one last thing I think we should think about before we read on is that I really think this story speaks to God's love for all of us. Anytime, anywhere, in all of our individual circumstances, no matter what they are, in this narrative, Leah was clearly unloved. She's not really the, the hero of the story. She even says in, verse 20, in chapter 29, verse 33, she says that it, the Bible says, Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord had, has heard that I am unloved. Unloved, that that is a tragedy. She was unloved, but not by God. God absolutely loved her. There was no favoritism with God. And we see that sometimes in families. I spoke of it before about favoritism in a family, favoring your children and the damage that it does. God doesn't have those types of things. God loves us all in our individual circumstances. No one ever has to go unloved the father she may not have gotten all that she needed from her husband jacob but church all of us we get everything we need in our marriage to christ amen god knows all of our problems god knows all of our struggles individually i mean just look at verse 22 then god remembered rachel and god gave heed to her and opened her womb So she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. She named him Joseph, saying, May the Lord give me another son. Now Joseph goes on to do amazing things, and we're going to get to him in chapter 37. I believe that's where Pastor Sean uh, steps in. But God hears our prayers. God does not play favorites. and We are all absolutely equal in his eyes. Galatians twenty-eight. This is the passage I was referring to. I want you just to remember it. Three twenty-eight. There is neither Greek nor or Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Let's go ahead and pick up in verse twenty-five. Now it came about when Rachel had borne Joseph. That Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own place and to my own country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you and let me depart. For you yourself know my service which I have rendered to you. But Laban said to him, if now it pleases you, stay with me. I have divined that the Lord has blessed me on your account. And he continued, name your wages and I will give it. But he said to him, You yourself know how I have served you and how your cattle have fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased to a multitude. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when, when shall I provide for my own household also? So he said, What shall I give you? And Jacob said, You shall not give me anything, if you will do this one thing for me. I will again pasture and keep your flock. Let me pass through your entire flock today, removing from there every speckled and spotted sheep and every black one among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and such shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come concerning my wages. Everyone Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, will be considered stolen. Laban said, Good, let it be according to your word. So he removed on that day the striped and the spotted male goats, and all the speckled and spotted female goats, everyone with white in it, and all the black ones among the sheep, and gave them into the care of his sons. And he put a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob. And Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. So interesting again. Here, um, Jacob says to Laban, says, look, I've been working for you for many, many years. Send me away, that I may go to my own place, to my own country. He says, you know how much I've worked for you. But what do I have to show for it? I've made you wealthy, but I have nothing for my own family. And it's growing quite large by now. And Laban says, look, I have... The vine that the Lord has blessed me through you on your account, like God spoke to him in some way. There's a couple different theories on it, but I won't go into it. But we know the Lord spoke to his heart, and he knew it was because of Jacob that he had been blessed in so many ways. And so he says, Just stay with me, name your wages. And Jacob reminds him again, you had little when I came, and now you've had everything. I just want to be able to provide for my own family. And What shall I give you, he says, Laban. So they come up with this deal. He says, how about this? You let me pass through the entire flock. I'm going to remove every speckled and spotted sheep, and I'll remove the speckled and the spotted goats. That will be my wages. And Laban says, that's good. Let it be according to your word. And so he removes the striped and the spotted males and the goats, And then Laban wants to make sure there's no intermingling. He's thinking he's getting the better end of this deal. He doesn't want these sheep and goats intermingling with his, so he puts a three-day distance. You remember in the beginning of this journey, 60 miles was like a three-day distance depending on the terrain. This is quite a distance away. So they're separated. Now there's something really interesting here. Jacob wants to get away. And Laban wants him to stay. Laban sees that Jacob has been blessed by the Lord, and so is he. And you see this interesting parallel between Jacob and Laban, and Isaac his father, and Abimelech. Now, I think Pastor Aaron covered those chapters. That if you remember, Abimelech, king of Gerar, he sends Isaac away. He says, you're too powerful now. He sends him away, the opposite of what's going on here. Laban wants him to stay. But afterward, after he sends Isaac away, he's like, wait a minute. He chases him down and he wants to make a covenant with him. Why? Well, one, he's afraid that he may attack me. I want to be at peace with this guy because I see that the Lord is with him. He clearly sees that he's been blessed by the Lord in Genesis 26. And what's so interesting to me is that they all want the blessing of God. But they don't want to know His God. They don't want a personal relationship with His God. And so many people, I don't understand. So many people don't understand that they can have a personal relationship with the Lord. That's where the power comes from. That's where the blessings come from. That's where the change within comes from, is in the personal relationship with the Lord. It's not this building. It's not the fact that you come on every Wednesday or every Sunday or how much you give or your parents' faith. It's personal relationship with the Lord. And so many people don't understand that they too can have a personal relationship with the Lord, Again, that's where the change and the blessings and everything that we're reading about here comes from was from the personal relationship. The question is do you have a personal relationship with the Lord? Personal, it's yours. If not, it needs to be. What you do when you're alone is a good barometer of where you're really at spiritually. That's what I use. What do I do when I'm alone, when there's no accountability? How do I think? How do I speak? What do I do? It's a good barometer. Verse 37, let's pick up here. Then Jacob took fresh rods of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white stripes in them, exposing the white which was in the rods. He set the rods which he had peeled in front of the flocks in the gutters even in the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink. And they mated when they came to drink. So the flocks mated by the rods, and the flocks brought forth, striped, speckled, and spotted. Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. And he put, a, put, and he put his own herds apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Moreover, whenever the stronger of the flock were mating, Jacob would place rods in the side of the flock in the gutters so that they might mate by the rods. But when the flock was feeble, he did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. So the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. Now we see here that Jacob really had a great understanding of agriculture, of raising herds and He was a skilled shepherd, a a goatherd. He was very skilled. He'd been doing it all his life. He was raised taking care of the animals. He knew the best way to breed animals, how to get strong animals, what to do. And so it's so odd to me that he's messing with this old wives' tale about striped rods in the side of the sheep and put them there and in the troughs and all that sort of thing's going on. But clearly, Jacob later admits, in chapter 31, and we're going to read that in a minute, it's it's amazing, that it was God, he admits that it was God who had intervened to fulfill the expectations that Jacob had for the branches. The peeled branches were placed in the watering troughs, appeared to make the animals reproductive as they made it in front of the troughs, a myth. It was a myth, the myth of the mandrake, the myth of the love apple, the myth of the branches. The Torah prohibits superstition. This has nothing to do with it. Superstition is a form of idol worship. Idol worship implies there's something other than God. And so the Bible, the Torah, has nothing to do with that. And so it's so odd to me that That's how it starts with him. So Jacob, it says, was exceedingly prosperous in verse 43, and he gets livestock, and he's wealth, and he has family and servants and so many things. But are we surprised? Are you surprised? Shouldn't be. Remember God's promise at Bethel? You remember when we talked about that, when he has this dream, he anoints the rock, Jacob's ladder, the angels ascending and descending, and God appears on top. That's in Genesis 28. Let me read it to you in verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord your God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie. I will give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south and in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed behold i am with you and will keep you wherever you go and you and i will bring you back to this land for i will not leave you until i have done what i have promised you a fascinating struggle has been going on between Laban and Jacob. But Laban had no chance, and Jacob knew it. He knew the whole time because he was holding on to the promises of God. He persevered through the trials that God allowed him to go through to reform his character, to reshape who he was. He came through on the other side, a different man, a godly man a man that he never knew was was inside because God had to bring it out in him. Laban's injustice preceded Jacob's blessing. And I'm telling you, God is not through with you. God is not through with any one of us. And I don't think as I close out here is nothing sums it up more beautifully than Jacob's, and God's own words in the next chapter. And I'm going to close by reading this because it's, it's one of my favorite sections of Scripture when it comes to the promises of God. You can turn over there. Uh, chapter 31. Now Fred's going to teach on this next week, so don't tell him I read it already. Begin in verse 3. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to his flock in the field and said to them, I see your father's attitude, that it's not friendly toward me as formerly, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I served your father with all my strength, that your father has cheated me. And changed my wage ten times. However, God did not allow him to hurt me. If he spoke thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flock brought forth speckled. If he spoke thus, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock brought forth striped. Thus God has taken away your father's livestock and given them to me. There it is. He knew. It wasn't the branches, it wasn't the mandrakes for his family, it wasn't none of those myths. It was God the entire time. And it came about at the time when the flock were mating that I lifted up my eyes and I saw in a dream and behold the male goats which were mating were striped, speckled and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, I said, here I am. He said, lift up now your eyes and see that all the male goats which are mating are striped, speckled, and modded. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now arise, leave this land and return to the land of your birth. It, it's amazing. Went through all that, but he comes to the realization, man. <laughs> lord it was all you all the time you've never left me every word of your promise came true and he had the faith when he anointed that pillar he knew it was going to happen and we know things are going to happen we know the promises of god we're hanging on to the promises of god but there are times when we don't understand our faith there are times where we go is it real And I love it when we read something like this, when it all comes out, when you come out on the other side, you see yourself now and you go, man, I don't know what I'm ever going to amount to. And then you come out on the other side and you go, God is real. You say words like this, I am the God of Bethel, where you made a vow to me. Make a vow to the Lord. Personal relationship with Him. Hold on to the promises of God. Trust the plan that God has for your life and do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Let's pray. God in heaven, I thank you again for your words. Father, I'm just so encouraged and inspired by how you worked in Jacob's life and it encourages me as i think about Peter's life and Paul's life and father all your men that were used powerfully were a mess the best of us is a mess and father we pray before you now as people who are a mess in a country that is a mess but father we claim your promises We stand on solid ground with your word. You have given us your Holy Spirit to help us to say no and not again. And Father, it is in you that we are changed. And it is because of your word that we are encouraged. Please continue to be with us, to love us, and to change us from the inside out. Thank you, Father, again for this night. In Jesus I pray, amen.